let me let me take this back to this past weekend. I turned around and looked towards the shelf. You kind of knew what I was doing. You kind of knew where I was going because you already started to voice your objections of nope, 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 don't you dare. Don't you do not go for that box. And then, of course, you know, boom, there it is. Ladies and gentlemen, Linspire. Okay, Jeff, tell me why you hate Linspire. Also, as a younger man, it always seemed to me like they skipped all the important parts. Well, I consider it important. The engineering and the security and all the things that make Linux superior and special to the other alternatives out there. And they spent all of their effort on the gloss and the tails. And I don't care how pretty it is if underneath you're running everything as root and screwing it all up. Okay. Frankly, that's in a nutshell, that's what it is. Okay. Do you want me to tell you why you're wrong? Uh, no, but you're going to anyway. <laughs> so, okay, first off, did you realize that Linspire was based on Debian and then Ubuntu? I used to know that, and then I shut it out of my mind because I don't like Linspire. Yeah. So, let's let's go back and let's do kind of a history recap here. Sure. So, originally, it wasn't Linspire. It was mm -hmm. Lindos. Lindos. And Lindos was created by a company called Lindos. Mm -hmm. Well, Lindos Incorporated. Um, their plan was to develop a user-friendly Linux operating system that could run Windows programs using Wine. Now, the stability of Wine back in those days was... But they were making an effort. And this was 2001. Being generous. It was quite poor, except for a couple key things. Yeah. But this was also 2001. So this is, mm -hmm. this is way back. Mm -hmm. um, the goal, again, was to try to make Linux as user-friendly for Windows users so they could stop using Windows and start using Linux. Yep. This did not go over well with Redmond. Microsoft did not like this. And in short order, uh, less than a year later, uh, Microsoft sued Windows Incorporated for trademark infringement. Surprised it took them that long. Did they try and buy them first, maybe? No. Okay. So the courts promptly rejected Microsoft's claims. Like, yeah, no, Lindos does not infringe on the Windows trademark. And oh yeah, by the way, Windows as a term has been used longer than you guys have used Windows to describe <laughs> your operating system. Like Xerox and Mac and all of that. Whoops. The, the idea of a graphical user interface being called a window was established. So mm -hmm. no, forget that. You can't, you can't sue them for trademark infringement. Well, Microsoft being the chaps that they were, they didn't really like that. So in 2004 they pursued a retrial because they really wanted to win. Mm -hmm. However, cooler heads prevailed and they decided, you know, let's just nip this in the bud. And they actually paid Lindos Incorporated $20 million for the Lindos trademark and the Lindos name. Well. And Lindos then renamed to Linspire. Now, okay. from, from an open source guy's point of view, you guys got $20 million out of Microsoft by riffing off the name. $20 million is amazing. You did that the best way possible. Got to give them respect uh, there. Yeah. yeah. Can we try that, please? Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, so anyway, in 2005, there was a community respin of, Lin, of uh, Linspire, and that was called Freespire. I forget who exactly put it out. I've known this before. It's, you know, it's just left my mind. Now, 
it wasn't long before Linspire realized, oh, yeah, we should do that too. So then I think it was within a year or so from that they started releasing their own free version of Linspire because they also looked at it and went, hmm, so Sousa has a free version of their OS along with the paid licensed version that they have. Red Hat, at this point, had Fedora and then Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So they're like, so yeah, we could pretty much follow the same model and have our own free one that everybody can use. So that was the direction they took. So then they had the paid version, which was Linspire, and the free version, which was Freespire. And versions both developed on the same pace. And in 2007, Linspire actually got into a partnership with Canonical. Um, that was when they transitioned from being based on Ubuntu, or being based on Debian, to being based on Ubuntu. Um, and I actually have a couple quotes here, because I did, I looked this up. Oh. So, the CEO of Linspire at the time, a Kevin Carmony, said Ubuntu is the most successful community-based desktop or Linux project to date. They have done a fantastic job with the development community and creating tools for utilizing their technology. It made a tremendous amount of sense to partner with Canonical and begin basing our desktop Linux offerings on Ubuntu. Mark Shuttleworth, CEO of Canonical, said, The very nature of free software development is based on sharing and collaboration. The less time, energy, and resources Canonical and Linspire spend duplicating efforts, the more time we'll have for unique improvements and innovations. We are pleased to see another key Linux distribution incorporating our work with Ubuntu. So they, I mean, you want to, you want to talk about a big boys. They, they, they're now in a partnership with Canonical. As I recall, Canonical made a big splash because they came in with real money for once. Mm -hmm. They were just like, we're going to start a new distribution, new. Yeah. But we have funding to do it right. Mm -hmm. That was the pitch, as I recall. Yeah. But Microsoft wasn't entirely out of the picture at this point. Ah. Because, you know, they, they, had some, they had some issues before. But this time, Microsoft and Linspire got into a partnership. So in mid-2007, Microsoft put out a press announcement stating, and I have this, and I quote, Today, Microsoft Corp, Corp and Linux desktop provider Linspire Inc. announced a broad interoperability technical collaboration that includes intellectual property assurances. The agreement promotes customer choice and strengthens the bridge between Microsoft Windows and Linux operating systems. And this was in 2007. That's Balmer days. That's Balmer days. Whoa. Linspire CEO stated that um, Linspire has always been about choice, and this announcement continues our tradition of offering options for improved interoperability, enhanced functionality, and confidence. Over the years, in an effort to expand choice, we have entered into dozens of agreements with commercial software vendors. It certainly made sense to collaborate with Microsoft, one of the most important partners in the PC ecosystem. So they agreed with Microsoft to be able to get a license to include certain Microsoft technologies into Linspire. Now, I don't know the version that we installed during our self-ragchew, if it was a version that came after that or before that. I think it was 05, so it would have been before. Yeah, okay. And Linspire continued, you know, continued in this trajectory. However, in 2008, it was acquired by the company Xandros. And after that was done, the Xandros company decided they were actually going to discontinue Linda, or Linspire in favor of their Xandros-based OS. The Freespire version that existed, which was community-based, continued, uh, but it rebased back on Debian, and it died out shortly thereafter. And the Linspire legacy came to a halt. Blessedly. But then it came back. 
Because a decade later, a company called PC Open Systems purchased the Linspire and Freespire assets from Xandra and announced Linspire 7 and Freespire 3. Now, I would love to know how much they paid for that. I, that's just like a curiosity to buy. Well, yeah, we could reach out mm -hmm. and ask. We can I don't ask know him. if you would actually, I don't know if you would actually admit to what they paid, but well, I'm curious, you know, it's always, it's always worth asking. It's worth asking. And to this day, Linspire and Freespire are still being developed. Um, Linspire is at version 8.7 and Freespire is now at version 6. Uh, both of them had a release, I think, in March of 2020. So, can I pause you here and point out that that's actually quite shrewd to go and buy old name and IP. Mm -hmm. It has history. It's known. Uh, to certain of us, it's known poorly, but it is known. You know, even bad press is press. So, here's a name. And I would have to guess it didn't cost them very much. I'm just spitballing here, but here. Here's a name you haven't used in 10 years. You're not doing anything with it. And it had an interesting reputation before. We'll just take it off your hands here and no big deal. I would like to think it'd be cheap. Yeah, I would still think that companies would want a significant amount of money for a name, though, just because. Probably, yeah. So, like, yeah. Because you don't, you don't ever get that back. You know, it's a very permanent change. I get it, yeah. It's a heck of a lot easier than building a new name. So right now, if you wanted to, you could go buy a year license for Linspire for $29.99. Why would I ever want to do that? I don't know. Why do people buy rail licenses for a simple desktop? Support. Uh, the lawyers say they have to. Mm -hmm. That actually happens a lot more than you would like to admit. It's the lawyers that demand it. Yeah. So let's talk about some obvious criticisms that Linspire, Xandros had. Uh, well, maybe less on the Xandros front, but definitely with Linspire, is the GNU folks did not like them being chummy with Microsoft. Mm -hmm. They did not like the inclusion of Microsoft technologies under license to Linspire. They were not down for that. I believe they viewed that as a betrayal almost. Yeah. And there was a lot of definite hostilities there because of that choice. Now, I remember those hostilities spelling across slash dot daily. <laughs> yeah. Now, I get the ideological argument for that. I really do. However, again, this was 2001. This was still mostly early days. I mean, at this point, Linux hadn't even been out a decade yet. Right. So there were a lot of areas which were really lacking. Mm -hmm. And for me, this I'm not going to say that Linspire did everything wonderfully, because they didn't. I'm not going to say that it was the best desktop experience that you could have, because it wasn't. Mm -hmm. However, I think for a lot of people, it was good enough. And I think that in for a... A fair amount of people, that's what really matters is that kind of day-to-day -day experience and, you know, being able to just install and go and get stuff done. And for me, it comes down to a very simple principle. If you're trying to promote Linux and open source, you're going to get a thumbs up from me. And I think if somebody started a new distribution today based on Debian, based on Ubuntu, and had a license for use and paid support, just like RHEL does, just like SUS does... I don't think there would be as much hatred as what Linspire got back in the day. I think today, that kind of model of it's Linux, it's free, it's open source, but you can pay for a license and get support is an accepted thing. Back then, I don't think it was really an accepted thing. At that point, RHEL was really kind of just starting to push into those waters. Mm -hmm. 
but Red Hat had so much good and positive feelings from everybody and press that it was, oh, Red Hat's doing it. That's cool because we know them and we like them. Red Hat also had crossover into the, the financial world. There were people like, we don't know how you monetize Linux, but Red Hat's going to try. Let's watch and see what happens. And so there was a kind of a holding their breath to see what would happen. Is this going to work or not? And it only took a couple of years to realize, heck, yeah, this works. Works great. Yeah. Because now companies could buy in and get everything they wanted in Linux and have all the support they expected. And everybody was happy. And Red Hat was just raking in the dough, as I recall. And then everybody else is like, why didn't we do this sooner? This could have worked sooner. Yeah. And but the fact is, people were doing it. Like I said, Seuss was doing this as well. That's true. Yes. But Seuss didn't really have the, the market the market forces in the US, they were more focused on Europe. But they were the European, yeah. But what, I mean, what do you think? Do you think today if somebody like this, the, okay, this guy who has bought the assets and he's running with it, do you think he will get the same kind of hostility that the company got in the past? No. Okay, why? But I think not for the reasons you're suggesting here. So part of what I recall from back in those days when there was a lot of Linspire hatred going around is that they were some, it felt like obvious shills, as I recall. They were deliberately going around to places that were where open source news or open source discussion was happening and shilling Linspire. And it was very overt. Um, I can't go back and cite any one particular thing, but I remember I followed several sites very closely. There wasn't many news aggregation sites for Linux back then. Even in 2005, there were still only a couple. And so I just remember them. There was always these like overly positive supporters of Linspire. Like, it can solve everything. It can cure cancer and calculate the, the last digit of pi, which there's no last digit. But it, yeah, they would claim the moon. And that really irritated me. Like, no, it can't do that. No, you're just making that up. And then when you were to go look deeper in Linspire, you would see some of the, the rot underneath, like what I alluded to at the very beginning of the podcast here. But that was just rot that was in Debian and Ubuntu. It wasn't It wasn't Not necessarily it. Linspire's rot. I mean, there was some from the stuff that they added in. Mm -hmm. But the majority of the base OS was already done for them. That, yes, that's true. But there are certain ways to do things that cut corners. And they were trying to create the experience. And so they cut those corners. Uh, for instance, they ran a lot of things as root, or they had services that just set up as root. I recall, it used to be you had to run your X server as root. And then somewhere along the way, they, they set up the you know frame buffers and the devices that you could run not as root, kind of. Um, it was somewhere in that transition period, as I recall. And then Spire said, no, we're not going to do that. We'll just do what works. And we're going to stick. We're just going to make it easy because we're looking for the experience. We want it to be straightforward. We don't want anyone to have a struggle with this because that's our design goal. And so they cut other corners to make sure that design goal was met. So on, the, on so, the root issue, do you hate Puppy for that? Because Puppy runs his root. Some. I know. I know. Uh, partly because I know some people that make Puppy. I, so I there's a little bias there. About. I can't I answer effectively. <laughs> <laughs> some scruffy guy that I ran into at a conference one time. Yeah, he he's, he's, he's an oddball at, at the best now, of times. Yeah, he is. I, I think I get, I'm willing to give Puppy a pass, not because I, I know certain people in there, but also they were taking a distribution and layering on top of it. So you weren't the core distribution. It was, well, it might have migrated that way, but you were taking like Slackware and then making things on top of it. And so you you were like uh, Cali does or Backtrack. You were making a product from another product and you had to compromise some things to do that. 
That to me is a little, well, I'm trying to discern the difference here. But isn't that exactly the same as what Linspire did? I, that's exactly what I realized just now. I'm trying to, why am I giving it a free pass? That's not fair. It's because I'm opinionated and I haven't let go of that opinion in okay. nearly 20 years. I mean, that's, that's fair. It is. That's fair. No, it's absolutely not fair and I don't care. Well, okay. Agree to disagree. Okay. No, but I, th I think the argument is, is a valid point. However, on the news issue, you're right. But I also wonder if that's only because... Not, okay, let me let me rephrase that. I'm not saying you're right uh -huh. only because. You're right, but the media landscape and the way that it worked and the way that those articles were written were only because. At the time, Linspire was the outside dog. Red Hat, Sousa, Debian, none of these people had to work hard to get love and adoration from the Linux community. It just, they did something and there was dozens of articles written about how this was great mm -hmm. so when you're trying to break into that and you are kind of the oddball you kind of have to push the pr because otherwise you don't get any attention because well nobody's paying attention to you but then by nature of you then trying to push all that positive pr you then kind of look like a shill like i would even argue that's what's going on today with uh what company is it purism if you go into the linux subreddit every week it's like oh look there's another purism post and it it, it reads like it's a pr statement mm -hmm. but again like i mean i have personal things against that company that i don't like and i don't want that to cloud this issue but i think mm -hmm. i think when you're the outside dog and you're the you're the small dog in the big you know the big yard and there's the other big dogs you kind of have to be a little aggressive and almost kind of go with that guerrilla marketing thing of trying to get boots on the ground to push out a positive message and just, you know, make it as glossy and as nice as possible to get the attention. Of course, the problem is that doesn't always get you the attention you want. Right. So it seems like the playing field is not level to begin with. And we're in a completely level playing field. You could create a superior product for some definition of superior, and it would naturally bubble to the top. That's one of the things I liked about Linux is it felt like a strong meritocracy. And it also feels like anytime you have to hack the media process or hack the public consciousness to make sure that your product rises to the top, maybe it's not as good a product as you're hoping. Like, I think we were talking about, if you have to tell me that your product is premium, maybe it's not premium, things like that. I, it just feels like there's a, a legitimacy factor. And I freely admit, I've not been in a position where I have to create a new thing and bring it into the public consciousness. Uh, I've never tried it. I know it's hard, only because... I've considered how hard it would be to bring to the market. Gosh, I don't want to go anywhere near that. It's not my gifting or talent, or I don't have the patience for it. And you pick, pick any of those. So I do understand why they would appear like shills. I do understand why you have to be very public about things. I have worked for open source companies in the past where press was everything because it was really the only way you were going to be able to bring in paying customers is they saw you in some press something, or they saw you in you know, a CMS roundup and you came out number two or something. And that, that, that mattered a great deal because that was how you got people to pay attention to you. And over time, you'd build a following, but that growing the following thing, I don't know how it works. I don't understand it. I find some of the things it takes to grow a mind share on a product distasteful. We'll just say that. Okay. Let me, let me take this back to this past weekend. Okay. I turned around and looked towards the shelf you kind of knew what I was doing. You kind of knew where I was I going because you I already started knew. to voice your objections of, nope, 
Nope. Nope. Don't you dare. Don't you do not go for that box. And then, of course, you know, boom, there it is. Ladies and gentlemen, Lynn Spire. Uh, so taking all of your your baggage and your your the, the resentment that you hold with such affection um, if I can say it that way, towards Linspire. That's that's fair. Um, that's a, that's a good character. When you booted the system with the CD in, what was the experience like, though? It was slow, but that's because the hardware was old, and there was a lot of assets that go that are involved in a desktop environment. I know it takes a while to load things. You know, the, the CD-ROM drive itself probably wasn't very fast, so I can't really blame Linspire for that. And it did. I even I, in the stream, I think I said this is working much better than I expected. I expected it to crash and burn before it got finished loading because I'd had that experience before. I tried Linspire. I felt okay. I can't just rag on this thing without at least trying it one time. So I tried Freespire somewhere, and it really crashed and burned badly. I don't remember why or how. I think it was some kind of hardware something. Maybe they had compiled the kernel and they didn't bring enough modules in or something. I, I don't remember. Um, maybe it was also that's a risk that you're going to have with a community version too. Absolutely, you know? yes, absolutely. I can't so count I, the number I, of times I, that I've run into a bug with Fedora, and I've been like, "How did this happen?" Oh, right, this is a community project. I can't yell at Red Hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone had their, and this is also why, like, I think modern times when you build a package, you're always supposed to build it in a clean room CH root or something because you don't want your special customizations to leak into the package build. It works when we run it on your system, but not on somebody else's. We're trying to avoid that now. It could be that that was not the norm back then, and whoever was compiling Free Fire or putting it together or something, packaging it up, uh, they let some of their customizations leak in, and it just didn't translate. I don't know. So I had the shills. I had the bad experience, the crash and burn. I didn't invest a lot of time in trying to get it to work, probably because I already didn't like it. And I was like, hey, look, see, there, there's my evidence. It doesn't work. See, and I was done. That was all I needed. I did try and take a couple shots at fixing it a little bit, but it was non-trivial. And I had other things to do. So it was like, I have my evidence. Sure enough, it doesn't work like I thought. That's all I need. And I was willing to move on down the road and say, yep, this stinks. I'm done. And form that opinion so strongly. And also, you know, when the people started pushing back on the shills in, you know, Slashdot or, or uh, Linux News or anything, and they would point out the flaws, they were quite point by point. And so you could almost, if you were to go check out the version of whoever was talking about you could see, oh, that flaw, that's that rough edge, and they haven't fixed that in three years. Why hasn't that been a priority? You think that they would fix that? Um, things like that. And that just, those are the things that stick out to me. So when you pull the box down off the shelf, I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm going to fix this. This, this is circa 2005, so it probably has that problem. I'm probably going to have to deal with something else. And I was very surprised when none of those problems happened. Now, we were also running on ThinkPad, and ThinkPad was, as I recall, one of the first laptops that was embraced, that embraced Linux and was embraced by the Linux open source community as adopted, we'll say. So we were running Linspire in perhaps a best case scenario, uh, and not to take away anything from what it did, because it did successfully run, and I was able to run Xize on it, which is my proof that X, the X server was running fine. And, and you got Conqueror up and running. I mean, you had a browser. Yeah, we should have opened... actually we should have actually run a land cable level over and seen like, been... what what we could have gotten from it. Well, so because I'm allergic to Linspire, I didn't want to be near it any longer than I had to. Uh, so I was like, okay, it works. Let's go. You know, get rid of it. So, and it's also very cool. I was somewhat embarrassed that this was the only success we had for like two and a half hours because all the times we tried to get the disk drive stuff working, we only had Linspire 
and Windows XP. Yeah. And like, these are two things that I really don't like, and those are the only two successes we have. Yeah, the stream was having w some fun Windows with Windows XP us. doesn't count. The stream was having, definitely having yeah. some fun with us about that one. That's you know, why Southeast you... Windows Fest. No, yeah. it was not. I got very sensitive to that. Like, no, it's not Windows Fest. You were very Which desperate to uh, to install Slackware so you could have a Yes, win. I knew it would work. And now Slackware 8, which is what we installed, had some rough edges, but I was very familiar with the rough edges. So I was able to go in and kind of smooth them out, and it worked. And I really wish you would... still has Slack 8 on there. Yeah, I really wish you would have done an older version. Though. Yes, I wanted like 8. Like one that actually would have required a floppy. I wanted 8 because I knew... I knew for certain it's because it was easy. That's why you wanted it, just because it was easy. Um, no, I wanted it because specifically I asked for eight because I didn't know if seven had everything bootable off the CD, but I knew eight did. Somewhere in there uh, is when it became odd, floppy optional. I don't remember what version. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but I knew eight was because I'd done it from CD before. So I knew we would be able to not successfully install it, but we would have the best chance of it installing successfully because it ran off the CD only. So I was I was just looking for any win at all at that point because we had failed at five or six installs and it was starting to get to me. It's like, we need a win that's not Linspire, <laughs> which I don't know the counts because we didn't install it. Yeah, well, it, we ran it as a live, as a live thing, which... Yes. Okay, it ran perfectly fine as a live thing in 2005. That's hard to do in 2005. There's a lot of things to get right. Yeah. I will give them credit for that. So I, I don't know, when did Nopix or Nopix show up? I don't remember how to pronounce it. I don't remember it's off like the top of my head. Oh, two, oh, three was one of the earliest live distributions, and they spent a lot of time early days getting that engineering right to do it. There was a lot of contortions you had to do to make it run. And now it's, I don't want to say it's trivial now. I mean, you've done some well, live systems with puppies, so you know. Yeah, so technically, the, uh, the one of the Red Hat ones that we tried to install was Red Hat Live. It was actually Red Hat 2.0. Mm -hmm. So it was very old, mm -hmm. but we had the problem with the dual boot disks, which. Yeah. Uh, which was an issue. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I think Nopix was the first one that got it easy to do. Mm -hmm. But yeah. It's non-trivial. I give them credit for the fact that in 2005, they had a working, high-quality, live bootable system. You know, remember Ubuntu 8.04 had that also. So it was about that era that we started getting all the bugs. Not started. We were shaking a lot of the bugs out, and it was no longer... I don't want to say challenging. It wasn't, it wasn't hard anymore. That's not what I'm trying to say. It was hard. Getting a live system set up is hard. There's lots of things you got to do right. And there's lots of iterations you have to do of booting and rebooting and rebooting to make sure it is right. That's hard. It takes a lot of time. But we, we as, a, as a Linux open source community, had done it quite a few times by 2007, 2008. So we had a lot of those rough edges documented. Yeah. We'll say. Okay, well, I am obviously, you, you know my collection. Um, I'm going to keep trying to find older copies. Mm -hmm. I would like to find um, an actual Lindos box copy so I have an original one. So if anyone is Ooh. listening, they have one that they wouldn't mind selling to me, definitely reach out. And I'm, I, I've actually reached out. I sent an email to the guy who, his name is Robert, I forget his last name, who is doing Linspire and Freespire now mm -hmm. to see if I can get, you know, ask him some questions, get any feedback from him. Um, so we may we may circle back to this. I may make you install uh, a modern a modern version of it. I'm almost certain you will when you can do so safely. And uh, and then you know we'll see uh, we'll see if your opinions have changed. Now obviously, it's 2020, so a, a version of Linspire now is going to be completely different from what it was then. But you know it'll be a nice way to to echo back to to this episode and see the state of things and how they've changed sure absolutely and i also say that my 
my desires and what I'm looking for in a distribution have evolved considerably since 2003, 2005. Back then, I was far more interested in a purity of engineering and quality and, and the kinds of things that you could only get in Linux that Windows would never be able to measure up to. And uh, Mac was only flirting with in the early days of uh, OS X. I believe that was 2004, somewhere around there. They were just starting to flirt with some of these really powerful engineering things. I think it was about right. Yeah, somewhere in there. Because uh, 2007, I think, was the third version of OS X. Anyway, I think now I'm far more interested in a distribution with clean lines that just works, and I don't have to learn a lot of things to use it. You know, I've already learned a lot of things. I would like to use the knowledge I have and not to learn something new to operate your distribution. That's just me. I don't have as much time now. I'm you know, older, I'm married, I've got family, and that's just how it is. I don't have time to learn esoteria like I did in my younger days. And I think that's probably a common pattern too. So I would anticipate modern Linspire being as streamlined and borrowing tools from other distributions or, or patterns as much as it can. And I would be approving of that. But it's not the name specifically that I hate. Well, hate's not even the right word. It's not the name that I dislike. It was how it was handled and done in those days. That's what I really dislike. And that's represented by the name we talk about, Linspire, that says to me, that distribution from 2001 to 2007, before it became Xandros, or disappeared, was consumed by Xandros, uh, whatever that was. That's what I mean. So, okay. Uh, good points, Jeff. Good points. Um, I would love if people would email in and give us uh, replies as to all the reasons Jeff is wrong. Um, that'd be great. So if you guys, if you guys could do that, I'd yeah, be please. most appreciative. I'd love or, to read hey, them. You want to write an email in and tell me about how I'm wrong? You can uh, file that right under Dev Null. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> no, send it in. Um, any replies CC we'll get, we'll definitely me. go over. We will respond and uh, get them in the episode so we can have some engagement with other people. We're very good. We've responded to every email we've received thus far. That is true. That is very true. Without fail. We have a hundred percent reply rate at this point. Mm -hmm. We do. An instantaneous reply rate, too, let me tell if, you. If you're wondering, as, as, we haven't gotten a single email in, which is why we're able to say that. Uh, but we do. Our plan is to respond to every email. Um, so you will hear from us. If you don't, send it back in. Yes. Um, and just keep sending it in until you get a reply. Uh, so, yeah. So that's going to be it. This, is, this was episode five. Mm -hmm. um, and hope you stay tuned for what's coming next. Thanks for listening, guys and gals. It was uh, good for you to listen to me rant. Appreciate it, and have a good night.